From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The thorax, or chest, contains organs including the heart and lungs, as well as muscles, nerves, blood vessels, and ribs. There's a ring formed by the top rib just below the collarbone called the thoracic outlet. When nerves or blood vessels are compressed by this rib or the collarbone or neck muscles, various disorders can occur. This group of disorders is called thoracic outlet syndrome. Here to talk about the causes and treatments of thoracic outlet syndrome is Dr. Anthony Fagali, Assistant Professor of Surgery in the Department of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery at Upstate. Welcome, Dr. Fagali. Thank you for for having me. First, could you give an overview of what thoracic outlet syndrome is? Sure, that was a pretty good overall understanding of what the general idea of it is. Uh, But thoracic outlet is really one of three entities. Uh, You have what is called neurogenic, which is compression of the nerves in that space. Uh, Two, venous, which is compression of the subclavian vein uh, that comes off the heart in that space. And three, the most rare, which is arterial, which is compression of the subclavian artery. Uh, Overall, about 90% of the patients I see in and around the country is related to neurogenic, which is a nerve compression of the brachial plexus. Those are the nerves that come off the back of the head, down the arm, into the shoulder. Uh, The second most common is venous. It's about 10%. In fact, I see about one of these a week, uh, roughly, that come in acutely through the hospital. And then the rarest is arterial, which is really less than 1%. Which one is the most dangerous? The most dangerous is arterial. Um, Why that is, is the artery gets compressed in that tight space. And that tight space is either between a first rib, which we all have, or some of us are born with an extra rib called a cervical rib. Uh, And that tight space is where the vessels cross between some muscles. We call those the scalene muscles. And when the artery gets compressed, it can become acutely blocked and clawed off. And that relates to ischemia or lack of blood flow to the hand. And that's an emergency. If that's not fixed emergently, you have the risk of losing your arm. Well, let's talk about symptoms. How would somebody know that they have this condition? Sure. So the majority of the patients have what is known as the neurogenic type, which is related to nerve compression. Um, A lot of things can cause pain in the neck, pain in the shoulder. Uh, And this is something that's usually misdiagnosed or rarely identified until it's later on down a patient's treatment plan of years. Um, But a majority of the patients with the neurogenic nerve compression develop tingling of the hands or the arm. We call that paresthesia. Uh, They can develop weakness of some of the muscles, and eventually they can develop what we call atrophy of the muscles, which is a loss of that muscle mass. Uh, And those are the most common symptoms I see related to the neurogenic form of thoracic outlet. So when you say loss of muscle mass, is that in the shoulders or the arms? So it's in the combination of the shoulder. Um, They can also use muscle strength in the hand, and that's from the chronic compression of the nerves. Um, But they'll come and they'll usually complain of chronic radiating weakness, pain, and tingling down their arm, their shoulder, their back, and sometimes up and towards the chest. So it sounds like this could end up being debilitating for a person. Yes, it very well can be. And in fact, um, we see this quite frequently in young individuals, uh, specifically athletes. Uh, I trained in Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson University, and I worked with a world-renowned surgeon who treats this named Paul DiMuzio, Dr. DiMuzio. And so during my time there, he took care of many of the professional athletes in the area, Uh, We would see this from baseball players to pitchers to NFL players to basketball players. And a lot of it is from overuse of this space, from overdeveloping muscles related to this space, or it can be related to a trauma such as a car accident or an injury. Uh, And that injury can really uh, injure the nerves that come across this tight space. 
Well, you mentioned that it uh, sometimes gets misdiagnosed. How do you go about diagnosing it? That's a great question. So it depends on the form. Uh, the arterial compression is usually diagnosed acutely because you have no blood flow to the hand, and that's an emergency. Uh, the venous, which I see quite frequently, in fact, I saw one this past weekend, they usually come in with an acute swelling of their whole arm all the way down to the fingertips. Uh, in particular, a lot of the patients I have are young, uh, between the ages of 20 to 40. Uh, majority of them are fairly athletic. Uh, they do activities such as cycling, lifting weights. Uh, so they overdevelop these muscles that compress that space between the rib uh, and the uh, muscle. And so those are the ones that present acutely with swelling of the arm. And that's a step process of treatment. You first have to get rid of the clot that's developed. And then once that clot resolves, then you have to take out the inciting factor that caused that, which we can talk more about later. Uh, and then the third, which is the neurogenic, it's a difficult diagnosis. A lot of the times the patients I do get seen are patients who have seen orthopedic surgery for neck pain, shoulder pain, and they do get sent to me. And the diagnosis is really a diagnosis of exclusion and clinical exam. Uh, they usually start off by first getting an x-ray to see if they have an extra rib uh, that could be present that's causing this compression. Because you wouldn't necessarily know you have that. You would not know. Okay. No, exactly. And a majority don't, but they still have this disease. And then the next thing they would do usually is um, a very thorough clinical exam. There's certain maneuvers I look at in the shoulder and the arm to see if there is compression. Uh, and then they can do studies such as EMG, which is electrical uh, nerve conduction studies to see how good the nerve conduction is to the hand. Uh, and then eventually other tests that can be done include a CAT scan or an MRI. And an MRI is pretty diagnostic in showing that compression on that brachial plexus or that nerve plexus. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Anthony Fagali, an assistant professor of surgery in the Department of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery at Upstate, about thoracic outlet syndrome. So let's talk about how it's treated. Mm -hmm. um, you're a surgeon, so you, you do surgery, um, but there's other things that you might do before then, right? That's a great question. Exactly. As a surgeon, you know, you, you, you see yourself as a hammer and everything's a nail, but it's really not always the best uh, modality to take care of this. In fact, a majority of the patients that have what is the neurogenic form or the nerve compression of this thoracic outlet, a uh, significant majority are treated with physical therapy. In fact, almost 80% to 90%. And what physical therapy does, and it takes months of time, is they teach you how to stretch those muscles along this plexus, how to improve your posture that can affect this. And there are certain other modalities such as nerve injections or blocks that they can inject into that space to help relieve that compression. Of the ones in neurogenic that do not resolve with uh, aggressive physical therapy, surgery is an option, but it's usually a last option. And which, for that particular option, what I do is I make an incision right, right above the clavicle. It's a few centimeters in length. And I the, and the clavicle is the shoulder? The clavicle is a shoulder bone that comes off the chest. And so it's more up towards the neck. And that incision, what it allows me to do is I take out the muscle that's causing some of that compression. It's called the anterior scaling. And I also take out this other muscle called the middle scaling. And between those muscles is compressed are the nerves. And then what I do is I free up those nerves. We call that neurolysis, where I take off that scar tissue along those nerves that develop over time from that severe compression. And then, pending how bad that compression is, the majority of the time I also take out that rib, that extra rib or that first rib that develops that compression. And with that, even with the operation, patients still have to go through some form of physical therapy to help really stretch that area and to really allow their nerves to, to relax and free up. 
in relation to the venous type, which is the vein that gets compressed, that's a different step modality. A majority of those patients come to me fairly acutely, uh, usually with swelling of the extremity, either left or right arm. And for those patients, I take them and I do an endovascular approach, meaning I put a wire and catheter through a vein and I put clot-busting medication, and it sometimes takes a couple days to dissolve all that clot that's developed. The clot's developed because that vein is compressed in that tight space, and when the vein gets compressed, you get a DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis. As that clot completely dissolves, the patient usually goes home for a couple weeks with a blood thinner. I bring them back and we schedule them for surgery, and what that surgery is is an incision below that collarbone, uh, which is the clavicle, and I take out, again, some of that muscle that's attached to that area, and I take out that first rib, and I also free up the vein at the same time. Uh, and those patients do very well. Um, they can go back to their regular activities, but it is a few-month recovery until they have their full ability to lift weights and exercise again. And you, then our, you mentioned that you remove some of the muscle. Correct. Um, does that, like how much muscle, and does it sure. grow back? Or? So this is very small muscles. Uh, these are called the subclavius muscle. This is called the scalene muscle. These are muscles that don't have any long-term effect on your ability to exercise, be athletic. In fact, a lot of these sports athletes, there's been mixed martial arts fighters that have had this operation before, professional baseball pitchers have had this operation before, and still with that muscle and that rib removed, they can go back to their full uh, level of activity. Okay. And I'm going to back you up just a little bit on the physical therapy, um, which can be helpful for some people. Does that last forever? If you go to PT and get this sort of corrected, are you always going to have to stay in PT? That's a great question. Um, With physical therapy, it's something that is a lifelong commitment. Um, They will teach you ways to strengthen the muscles around it, to relax those muscles causing the compression. And it's some exercise. Once you learn how to do it, uh, as a patient, that's something you can continue with your life. Um, and it's it's a very effective way of treating the nerve compression. But then if you end up having the surgery, is that a lifelong fix? That's a good question, too. So with the surgery, a majority do see an excellent result and benefit. There is a small minority that don't, and they still need the physical therapy lifelong for it. Um, but despite the surgery, even if you take off that compression, Majority of the time, it is a lifelong fix, but they still need some form of physical therapy here and there to keep that space widely open. Is there anything that people can do to avoid getting this condition, particularly if you're, like you've mentioned, athletes? Mm -hmm. Is Is there something that athletes are doing wrong that they should stop doing? You know, it's difficult as an athlete to tell them how to control it. Um, The main thing is you have to keep a a good posture. Um, It's important to stretch that plexus or that space right above the clavicle and the neck and you can do certain exercises. And there are videos online you can watch to help show that. Uh, Professional athletes, a lot of them develop an overuse of the muscle. And as they overuse the muscle, it develops what we call hypertrophy. It gets thicker and larger. As the muscles get thicker and larger in that area, um, they compress more of that normal anatomical space. And so, you know, for you and I, our space is fairly open and we don't really have those symptoms. But if you and I were to start and go lifting weights a lot or becoming a professional baseball player overusing that arm throwing pitches, you can develop um, thoracic outlet syndrome. Do you see more men or women with this condition? Majority are women. Um, They have a smaller anatomical space than men. And so we do see it a lot more in women. Um, the neurogenic is the most common form you would see more so of women, uh, but it, it is in both sexes. 
And the majority of the patients are between the ages of 20 to 40. Um, so it's usually young individuals. How do you advise someone to prepare if they're looking at surgery because mm-hmm. they've tried maybe PT or, or other things to try to live with this, but you know, surgery is inevitable. How do you tell them to prepare for it? What's the best way to come into it? Sure. So in regards to the neurogenic, the nerve compression, the operation takes about an hour and a half, two hours to do. It is under general anesthesia. Um, it does have its risk as any operation. Uh, it is related to the compression of those nerves that come down the arm. So those nerves can be injured in fixing this decompression. Um, it's a low likelihood. That's always something that you has to be aware of. Um, there's also, because of this anatomy, it's a very high real estate area in the body. So there are certain things that can cause nerves that allow the diaphragm to open up, that allow for your arm to move, that are very important that we don't injure during this operation. That's the main, the main risk. Uh, there's also something called the thoracic duct, <clears throat> which comes along this, and this is what drains all the lymphatic fluid in the body. And that duct can be injured in this operation, which will cause what we call a lymph leak. You'll drain a lot of serous fluid, and that's a bit of time to heal up. But the majority of patients um, do very well from the operation. It's about two hours. They usually go home within 24 to 48 hours after the operation. Um, The main thing is they cannot do any significant heavy lifting for the first few months to allow everything to heal well. And within a couple weeks, once the incision has healed well and they've recovered well from the operation, then they start to work slowly with physical therapy. And usually it's the same physical therapist they were working with prior to surgery uh, that was helping treat them before. And it could be, you said, several months before you're kind of back to normal? Correct. It it takes a few months, several months, to allow everything to fully heal and allow the scar tissue not to return. Um, So it is a a slow process, but by the time it's healed and the patients do well, um, they're very satisfied with it. Do you ever see this condition in both arms at the same time? I get that question quite a bit. It's rare to see it in both arms. I would say less than 10%. I have, um, but it's not the norm. Uh, majority of the time, it's usually unilateral. So if somebody has numbness and tingling in both arms, it's probably not thoracic outlet. It can be, but most likely no, and it depends. There's, other, there's a lot of other pathologies that cause this, such as the most common is cervical compression or compression of the spine. Um, a lot of people have degeneration with age, with time, and sometimes with accidents that causes compression of the spine. And those nerves cross through the spine. And so a majority of those patients, that's what they have. It's not a true thoracic outlet. Um, and I do see a significant portion that do come to me with this. Well, this has been very informative. Thank you to Dr. Anthony Fagali, Assistant Professor of Surgery in the Department of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.